a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. No word from God will ever fail. I love that part. No word from God will ever fail. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled. The angel left her. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us this good news, the promise of your son. And as we look a little bit closer in the book of Luke, we ask you just to open our eyes, uh, open our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Disturbing Peace. Sort of a unique title, isn't it? How can peace disturb? Peace is supposed to be peace, right? Stillness, calm. Um, well, of course, I'm, I'm using an oxymoron. And, you know, you're familiar with an oxymoron, right? It's things like jumbo shrimp, right? Or phrases like the light heavyweight, heavyweight boxing champion. I never knew got that, the light heavyweight boxing champion. Or if you, you know, watch um, series like Walking Dead, right? Or, you know, if you're uh, responding to somebody inviting to a party, you'll go, ah, definitely maybe. Definitely maybe. <laughs> so let me explain myself uh, beginning with this statement, okay? Disturbing peace. The coming of Jesus into the world brings a disturbance of epic proportions to the world of man. It is a disturbance characterized by bringing God's shalom, or peace, to man. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, has come to disturb Satan's rule over the earth. And the Messiah has come to disturb the world system, the world system of sinful man. And this peace comes in the form of God's Spirit, coming to redeem and restore. So most of us are familiar with uh, peace, the definition being um, absence of war, right? Many times you know, we use that, but there is much uh, another meaning that we find in the scripture. Um, in the Greek, it's called erene, which is uh, a peace that means making complete, uh, fixing that brokenness and making you whole. So did you know 
that from the beginning of time, it was always God's plan and desire to have this relationship with man. But in the Garden of Eden, man chose to do it his own way and ultimately disobeyed God in sin. But God had this plan to restore this relationship, this broken relationship through his son Jesus. And in fact, he wanted to bring heaven down to earth. This is why we celebrate Christmas. It's the coming of the kingdom of heaven down to earth, and it's inaugurated by the coming of Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. So in today's sermon, we're going to walk through the backstory of the Christmas narrative. I guess the prequel, if you will. And just see how God is bringing his disturbing peace to an elderly couple and a young virgin. And you can sort of call it an awakening. And we often see this theme of calm before the storm, right? So the, the stillness before all this action occurs. And, you know, if you know me, um, most of you, some of you know I'm a big Star Wars fan. And this is the teaser trailer um, for Star Wars The Force Awakened. And I thought, it, oh, this really exemplifies an awakening. An awakening, Because for 10 years, there were no Star Wars movies, right? And suddenly it gets re released in 2015. So just take a, walk, uh, a look at this clip. No, there's no Star Wars movie this Christmas. I was like, what? <laughs> the last two that have been. Ah, that's okay. But you get my point, right? Even in this trailer, it's, there's all this, this blankness, and it's suddenly action. So an awakening uh, is happening, and, and, and I, I thought that this movie um, exemplified that really well. So the kingdom of heaven has come to earth. And that silence is broken after 400 years. What silence? There's a silence, and I'm going to uh, explain that in a minute. Now, we see something in the Bible um, 
that is sort of strange between the New Testament, or the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's a quietness. There's a silence of 400 years where God doesn't speak. Now, it doesn't imply or mean that God was taking a little siesta, and that he was tired of, of dealing with his people, he was fed up with Israel. The silence doesn't mean that God wasn't talking to his people in terms of dealing with people on an individual basis probably, or, or even blessing his people. That, that work was still active during that time. But what we refer to in this silence is the fact that there was no scriptural level of prophecy occurring during this time. There were no inspired words of God between the, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, which was written around 400 BC, uh, up until the top, time of the Gospel of Matthew, which was about 40 AD. So why was God silent during this time? I like to think that it's sort of like a parallel to the Genesis account of creation in that before something great going to happen, there was darkness. There was silence. Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And there was light. I'm sorry, over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. You see, there was this void and out of this void, out of this darkness and silence came God speaking light into existence. And in the same way uh, as the New Testament begins, the light of the world comes and God's silence is broken. You see, during this 400 years, it's basically this countdown to Messiah. The nation of Israel, they're undergoing this, this change. The Jews have developed this new zeal for the law, the Mosaic law. And you see the emergence of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, they all come into this position of influence. And then Israel, at this point, is looking for Messiah. And the, the set, the, it was basically the stage was set for Jesus to come. And during this period, God was also active in world history, causing major political, military events to occur just as he had predicted in the book of Daniel. And during this time, uh, brief little history here, the nation of Greece came to power, and then it was conquered by Rome. The Greek language spread throughout the world, and it provided this common language. Um, in the Roman period, it provided this precedence of peace. Uh, they built magnificent highways, the aqueducts, you know, they had uniform laws, and, and this, all of this aided in the spread of the gospel by the time uh, the first century church was established. So everything was falling into place for Messiah to come. And this was part of God's plan. Galatians 4 says this, 4 to 7. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of the woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So in the fullness of time, this happened. When the right time, the right setting, the right place um, 
had come. It was time for Messiah to come. The last week, um, Pastor Jonathan preached from the book of uh, Matthew. And, and this week, we're going to take a different view and see uh, what the, uh, the Gospel of Luke has to say. And I'd like to point out a few facts about Luke's Gospel uh, regarding the events of Jesus' early life. So, within Luke, Luke is, you know, the doctor. It's very likely that he actually interviewed Mary um, with regards to uh, her, her first-hand experiences. Luke is also the only one who records the, the John, uh, John's, John the Baptist's birth and the fact that Elizabeth and Mary are related. And then only Luke records the Annunciation uh, to Mary, so Gabriel appearing to Mary. Um, he records Mary's visit with Elizabeth. He records Mary's Magnificent, the song she sings. Uh, records the birth and the childhood of John, the birth of Jesus, the coming of the shepherds, and the announcement from the angels. So let's look at Luke's account beginning with a story of a couple in their old age. And this is an appearance to the faithful. So there's this man named Zacharias. And he was a priest that worked in Jerusalem. And his wife was Elizabeth. The Bible says they were a God-honoring couple. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and decrees blamelessly. So did you know in, in this time in Israel, there were 20,000 priests living all throughout Israel? How do you fit 20,000 priests in the temple? They can't all be working at, at once, right? So what happens is they get assigned their shifts, right? You, you get a, a week or two uh, to come into Jerusalem and perform your priestly duties. And it so happened, Zachariah's time had come. Uh, and he was representing his group of priests. And just to remind you, the priests, what did they do? They basically came into the temple. They, they, they did some upkeep. They taught scripture to the people. They directed the, the worship services. And the most, I don't know if it was the most stressful job, one of the highest privileged jobs is entering the holy place, the holy of holies, and then to burn incense. And so how do you get to participating in that by a burning of incense in the Holy of Holies? Well, a lot would be cast, okay? And this, the people, is like winning the lottery. This is a once-in-a-lifetime event, a once-in-a-lifetime honor. And it just so happened that Zacharias would get this honor. And then during this time, Zacharias is in the Holy of Holies, he is confronted by an angel, and his name is Gabriel. Now, I don't know about you, but if an angel appeared to me out of nowhere, I would freak out. <laughs> I think most of you probably would freak out. You know, priests encountering angels was probably not the most common occurrence, so I don't blame Zacharias for maybe even wetting his pants, right? But, but Gabriel says, first of all, his Chill, don't be afraid. Okay? I'm not gonna smite you. 
And he begins to say, You're, um, you will bear a son, and his name will be John. John will be a forerunner to the one who paves the way for the Messiah. And basically, he tells Zacharias, you've got to make your son follow the Nazarite vow. You know what a Nazarite vow is? It's a couple of, mentioned a couple of times in the Old Testament. Uh, people like Samuel and Samson uh, committed to this Nazarite vow. Basically, you're never to take wine or fermented drink. Um, and it's part of your commitment or consecration to God. Um, uh, that, that's part of your vow. So it's, it's basically being separate uh, for the Lord's work. So don't confuse that with being a Nazarene. So Nazarite is a vow. Nazarene is something that comes out of Nazareth, right? Somebody who lives in Nazareth. So upon receiving this revelation from Gabriel, Zacharias basically feels, <laughs> whatever angel dude, look at me, I'm too old. So basically he laughs. His reaction is one of doubt. And because of this disbelief, Gabriel says, okay, you're not gonna speak for your whole time uh, of your wife's pregnancy. So he became mute until the day that John was born. Now here's a guy who's been waiting for most of his married life, hoping, wishing, and praying, desperately wanting to have a child. I think most of us, you know, myself included, would probably had a similar reaction uh, to the angel. See, back in Jewish culture, having no children is basically a curse. Right? It's a shame that is brought onto the family if you don't have children. Being barren basically means you don't have God's blessing. That's, that's how they understood it. And you have to remember that during that time, some Jews believed that there was no bodily resurrection. So their hope of immortality was basically placed upon their children. And then not only that, you know, much like today, children are to be the caregivers of their parents when they grow old. And of course, there's the financial security and the social status. These are all at stake as well. Doesn't this remind you uh, of a similar couple in the Bible, in the Old Testament? Abraham and Sarah, right? Do you remember that couple? Sarah was barren, and the story goes, she laughed as well in disbelief. And soon, uh, but later on, they had Abraham, Abraham and Sarah had Isaac. But that was key because God brought a miracle into their lives because he promised that he would bless Abraham through his offering and bring uh, and, and make Abraham a father of many nations. And so you see the, the retelling of this barren couple story is because God's trying to tell us something. He's trying to tell us that something significant, significant is going to happen. It's about to happen. Something divine is about to occur. You know, I've always been fascinated with names in the Bible. And when I found out what Zacharias' name means, I thought, wow, that's, that's, very, that's very suited. His name means the Lord has remembered. You know, God has a unique way of telling us a story, doesn't he? He chooses somebody with this name to show us that he does remember us. 
And so what we, what we learn most from Zachariah and Elizabeth's story is that God does hear our prayers when we're crying out to him. And he answers according to his perfect will for us and in his time. You see, God's spirit brings peace to this household where there was once shame and anguish. And he brings a wholeness to this family now that they're able to have this child. And so when John is born, Zachariah, Zachariah speaks again. But not only does he speak again, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. There's that awakening again. To prophesy. And he actually sings this song of praise to God. So we, we need to remember this, that, that God's timing is perfect. He's not slow. He's never late. He is always in control of every yeah, uh, situation, and there's no exceptions. There was a time that, um, if you look over to the next slide, um, back in 2011, we found out that Tracy was pregnant, and we had a tough time of choosing names. Um, so we, we, we actually came upon one, and we decided to pick something unique, had a special meeting, and we, we decided to name uh, for son Jax. So Jax is actually a variation of the name John. So, and it means God has been gracious or has shown favor. So for 13 years of our, our married lives, uh, Tracy and I were childless. You know, all our friends were having kids and then stuff like that. But, you know, for one reason or another, we were childless, but he showed us his grace. He showed us his favor by giving us this miracle baby. And I, I won't go into the details of it today, but suffice it to say, we saw God's hand throughout the entire pregnancy. Now, Jax's middle name is Timoteo, which is a version of Timothy named after his grandfather. And it actually means honoring God. Now, by no means are we expecting him to be the second coming of John the Baptist, right? <laughs> but we do wish and pray that he would be one to honor God throughout his lifetime. Brothers and sisters, when was the last time you recognized God and God's timing in the events of your life? Some of you have had to wait for things. Maybe it's not a child. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's an opportunity. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a wife, a husband, or even boyfriend or girlfriend, right? God is faithful. Uh, God is faithful. Our second account focuses up today on the account of Mary and the appearance to a nobody. So, movie screen wipe to six months later after Elizabeth, right? Six months later, move up 70 miles from Jerusalem and we, we land upon this town called Nazareth. <clears throat> Mary, she's a nobody and she's visited by this same angel. Gabriel. She was young, she's poor, and she's female. All of these are characteristics to the people of her day 
that would make her seem unusable by God for any major task. So she doesn't have a lot going for her. But God wants to use her. Again, don't be afraid is the word of assurance by Gabriel when he appears to her. Mary's a virgin, but the Holy Spirit will miraculously come upon her, and she will give birth to the Savior of the world. Now, if you've been a Christian for as long as I have, you've probably heard this story of Mary's Annunciation a few hundred times. You can just imagine the mix of emotions going through, through Mary at the time. First of all, you know, the fear of confronting an angel, you know, the stress of giving this task of, of birthing the Son of God. Not to mention, what, you know, what am I going to say to my betrothed Joseph once he finds out she's pregnant? And then maybe some confusion, like how, how is all this going to happen? I don't think we've ever had somebody born through the Holy Spirit before. But then there's also this joy of the privilege of being used by God. And then there's this excitement that God has come to redeem his people. And in the end statement, uh, she acts in obedience and says this, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, and may your word to me be fulfilled. Right after that, Mary went to her relative, uh, Elizabeth, and that's where she had even further confirmation. And the very sound of Mary's voice made John leap in Elizabeth's womb. And then Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, again, this coming of uh, awakening of God, she said to Mary, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And then Mary's response, similar to Zacharias, she starts to sing a song, and it's known as the Magnificat. Why the Magnificat? Well, it's actually the word in Latin translated uh, the first word in Latin translated of this passage. And this is such a beautiful passage of scripture that I'd like us to um, read this together and recite uh, the Magnificat as a responsive uh, reading. So I'll lead and then you'll see where the congregation responds. Starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inner, inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped the servant of Israel, remembering to be merciful. 
to Abraham and his descendants forever and ever, just as he promised our ancestors. Yeah, as I conclude my sermon, um, to remind that Jesus is coming into this world. He didn't bring about the fanfare of the birth of a British royal, right? When um, Diana gave birth to William, when uh, the latest was, um, what's her name? Kate. Is it Middleton? Shows you what I know about the royals. <laughs> but there was this whole factor of watching, oh, you know, she's going to give birth today and, and, you know, all of that. See, Jesus' birth didn't come that way. God's silence was broken by the calling upon of a faithful couple and a young nobody. Now, I'm skipping the shepherds and, and, and magi so that Pastor Jonathan has something to preach in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but Luke's account of the birth of our Savior is meant to bring us peace. And that's, that's why we lit this candle today. Scripture says that the Holy Spirit would come and fill John for his task. And even more wonderful, the Spirit would do the miraculous in Mary and conceive the Savior of the world. It was as if the Holy Spirit had been awakened. And then that, not that God was asleep, but God had determined that this was the right place the right time for his son to be introduced to the world of man. And to those who are walking in faith in, in God, living normal, upright God lives, morally upright lives, Jesus brings the peace that they're doing the right thing. So keep walking in faith no matter what life gives you. God gave Zacharias and Elizabeth this taste of peace by showing them he is faithful to those who live righteous lives. And the couple is an example of obedience, even in the midst of their doubts. And to those who are feeling weak, like insignificant nobodies, Jesus brings the peace that you are loved by God. And God can use you. Your age doesn't matter. Your social status doesn't matter. Your gender doesn't matter. God still sees you as a masterpiece, a masterpiece of creation created in his image. And God gives peace to this young Virgin Mary and her response is obedience and praise to her maker. Let's pray.